Welcome to the Whitewater Podcast. Stay tuned at the end of the message for church resources and more information about Whitewater. For now, let's dive into this week's message together. Hey, friends and family, we have a special service today. What we're going to be talking about is how do we make and become radical disciples of Jesus? Disciples that our primary allegiance is to Jesus in a world where there's so many other competing voices, there's so many opportunities to kind of get off and go off on a wrong path. How do we keep Jesus at the center of our discipleship? I'm going to be interviewing a, a good friend of mine named Eric Munyamana, and he is Rwandan, and he was a leader who actually went through the Rwandan genocide. And he was part of their healing, a part of the unification, and a part of the rediscipleship that went on in the church. He works for Saddleback Church down in Southern California, and he serves as uh, one of the lead coordinators uh, in Africa for what's called the Peace Plan. The experience he's going to share with us, I think, can give us some great insight and something that we can learn from when it comes to the healing and unity of communities. In 1994, Rwanda had a genocide where uh, about a million people were killed within a 100-day period. I mean, this radically changed the nature of the country. It was the, the country was bleeding and scarred for years. 90% of the country identified as Christian. So Christian pastors and leaders were asking this question. How does a country where 90% of the, of the population identifies themselves as Christians, how does that country kill more than a million people within a 100-day period? How does a genocide happen? And after a lot of reflection, the, the leaders of that country, its Christian leaders, came forward and in a fairly unified voice said, we realize the problem has been this. We were making disciples of the nation, state, and tribe, and not disciples of Jesus. We have a discipleship problem. We have a heart problem because we're not making disciples of Jesus. Jesus taught his followers to love God and love their neighbor and to love their enemy. And so how do we, how do we get back to that? So when we're thinking of politics, I think it's really important to, again, remember allegiance and advocacy. Allegiance is about citizenship. Where is your citizenship? The Apostle Paul and Jesus, they, they both taught that our primary allegiance is to God. Our primary allegiance is to King Jesus and his kingdom. So if someone were to look at your life, where would they say your citizenship is from? Are you, is your allegiance to country, nation, and flag first, or to Jesus? Do we put everything else at the foot of the cross of Jesus? That's an allegiance question. Now, advocacy is really important. It's connected to our allegiance. Advocacy is the idea of being an ambassador. If our allegiance is to King Jesus and our citizenship is in heaven and with God's kingdom, then we become ambassadors of God's kingdom to the world. So what are we advocating for? Are we advocating for 
policies and agendas that are political in nature or are they kingdom in nature? Are they the agenda of the kingdom or are they our agenda or somebody else's agenda? And I think that's an important question to ask. If someone were to look at your life, what would they say that you're advocating for? Are you advocating for things of the kingdom? Are you an ambassador for the kingdom with your words, with your thoughts, with your actions? Or are you an advocate for what the world wants you to advocate for, or different parties or different uh, areas of your culture that we've been pulled into? Jeremiah 29.7 says this, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you in exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Seek the peace. I think it's so important to realize that, that when we are our allegiance is to Jesus and we're advocating for kingdom things, that's what changes the world. And, and I think that means a few things. One is when the church is gathered, like on a Sunday, it functions as like a, an embassy for the kingdom of God. And when the church scatters Monday through Saturday in neighborhoods and sectors of society and workplaces, the church becomes a group of ambassadors that have been sent into our world. So we're an embassy and we're, and we're individuals who have become ambassadors to the kingdom of God because our allegiance is to King Jesus and we advocate for Jesus' kingdom on earth. And it's really important that as ambassadors, we remember that we are sent out on behalf of the Jesus nation to the people of all nations to represent the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace. If someone looked at your life, what would they say your primary allegiance is to? And what are you advocating for? Allegiance brings clarity to our advocacy. We live in a politically charged world where like politics for many people have become religion. It's become the thing that they worship. And you can always tell when politics have become religion, it's when all of our hope is in this political party or this political agenda. All of our significance, all of our security gets put there. And, and if our party and our agenda win, then everything's good and salvation is here. And if our party and our agenda loses and, and doesn't gain traction, then everything is lost. And, and when we have allegiance to Jesus and his kingdom, it gives clarity to what we advocate for. And, and we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to have our vocation, our purpose be defined by the things that we're afraid of or by the, the policies and the politics that this world, you know, lift up as, as king. Our king is Jesus. And he's the one who we're following. He's the one who's going to lead us into the kind of life and world that we all really long for. No political party is going to last compared to the Prince of Peace. And none of those political parties, none of them, can give us the kind of hope, peace, joy, love that we desire. And so I just want to encourage you to move forward in your allegiance to Jesus without fear and with great clarity, advocating for the kingdom of God. Eric, I've heard you, you talk about your country before the, the genocide, about 90% of people would have identified with the Christian church. And yet there was this, this horrible atrocity and tragedy that happened. Can you speak to maybe the discipleship shift that needed to happen and that maybe people became awake to after this? Genocide happened at the time where the country of Rwanda was known to be Christian. That means actually more than 90% the great commandment 
Love God with all your heart, all your strength, all your soul, all your mind. Love God. And love your neighbor as yourself. So genocide is the is just, I don't see any other greatest way to violate that command. What kind of faith was that? What kind of Christianity was that? That's what you get when you just have the label of Christian, when you just go to church, when you just read the Bible, or when you just do church things, when you just have a church language, when you just do rituals, but when there is no actual transformation of the heart, when we do not live back that love for God and love for people. One of the greatest lessons is can we be intentional with the discipleship so that people will actually do and live out the word, not only to know it, but to do and live it out every day and everywhere. How about we really disciple the heart of these people? They are willing to come to church because they call themselves Christian. They actually go to church, so many of them, that we, we think it's a Christian nation, but actually it's a population that goes to church, but not necessarily discipled. When the church leader decided, let's work together in unity, that unity alone of the church leaders, dropping a lot of denominational barriers that existed before the genocide. That was beautiful to watch happen to this date, where peace is not just guns are silent, no one is shooting the other, but let peace be holistic. Can we connect the hearts of the people to reconcile with the heart of the Father and be discipled? And then can we, out of love for God, love for people, address issues of poverty? Can we work together out of love for God and love for people? As you look at the that kind of healing on a soul and relationship level, what lessons do you carry forward from that? One of the biggest lessons as a Christian, again, as a follower of Christ, it's not enough to go to church. It's not enough to call myself a Christian. It's not enough to read the Bible and pray every day and do all these things. If I don't act on God's commands of loving him and loving my neighbor, and if I don't go the extra step of fulfilling the Great Commission, like multiplying disciples, multiplying people who fulfill the Great Commandment, I will be a potential trouble to my community given the right environment circumstances because the people who committed genocide, the people who divided our country, the people who did everything the same, many of them, most of them were called Christians. So that for me, it's a powerful lesson. I need be a follower of Christ, doing what Christ wants. If not, I am a potential danger to the community, to the nation, and even to nations. Because my sinful nature can take over and can just tear things and lives apart. The other lesson is uh, we need to pass this to the next generation. This mindset, everything we are discussing, all these best practices, it should not stop with us. We need to intentionally engage the next generation, the younger generation, if we want it to be long-term, sustainable, and to go across other generations. Uh, we need to leave agents of transformation that we carry on this mindset. Uh, so those are the lessons, you know, uh, I think I'm drawing from this. And again, 
let's work intentionally on the leaders, the hearts of the leaders, because they can tear apart a nation or can they, they can bring together a nation. They have influence and they have affluence. All that has a key role in building or destroying any nation in any community. Thank you for sharing your heart. Thank you for sharing your experience with us and blessings on you and your ministry, my friend. I hope some of what Eric said provides some real insights for, for us to think about. Right now, I want to um, provide some questions for us to reflect on as we go into worship and then also for you and your home church or spiritual family to discuss afterward. If someone were looking at your life, your actions, your behaviors, your words, your Facebook posts, who would they say has your primary allegiance? How do you feel Jesus is prompting you to help initiate peace and healing in your community? What steps are you going to take to turn what you've learned into action? We believe everyone is on a spiritual journey. And that also means that all of us are on a journey of generosity. Jesus longs for us to become generous people. When we're generous, we're like God. The Bible teaches us in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. The more we become like Jesus, the more we become like love. And the more generous and giving we become, generosity transforms us from the inside out. Now, generosity is something God uses to change our hearts and our hands, and there's no exact science to it. But here are some helpful steps on our journey to generosity. The first step is tipping. <laughs> tipping is often where people say, hey, I like that service. I thought the, the music was good. The sermon was okay. And so I'll give them a tip. Or if something comes up that the church needs or there's a, there's a need that the church can answer, such as the COVID relief fund or the fire relief fund, um, people might just give what they have in that moment. And that's a great step of generosity. Every step matters to God. But as we're growing, another step would be a step of priority. This is where we begin prioritizing God first with what he has given us. This is when we start to realize that, wow, I'm not the owner of my life and everything in my life. God is the owner and I'm the manager. Sometimes we treat it in reverse and we think God's the manager that we can kind of order around with our prayers to do what we want when we need them. But the truth is that God is the owner and we are the managers of the life he has given us. Now, practically what that looks like is regularly setting aside a portion of our income to give to God regularly. We say we're prioritizing you, God, and giving back to you. The Bible says this in Proverbs 3.9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. And so we give to God first, prioritize. The next step that people often take is called percentage giving. And that's where we, we tithe. The, the Bible uses the word tithe, which simply means 10%. It's a key percentage that the Bible often uses to teach us to put the Lord first in our lives. Deuteronomy 14.23 says this, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. I love that. Tithing is an expression of worship. It's lifting God up. And it reminds us that God is the giver of everything we have. 
And for many people, seeing 10%, that's a big step, like 10% of my, you know, my income and I'm in debt. And I just want to encourage you, every step matters to God. And if you're not ready for something, that's okay. But it's important to realize that we can always keep growing. And if you're struggling with debt, I think that's something important to bring before the Lord and to start to take steps to get out of that kind of debt that can start enslaving us and prevent us from taking steps in generosity. The last step we'd encourage is for people, especially with the gift of generosity or when they've been freed of debt and freed of you know consumeristic tendencies, they become extremely generous. And that's the step of progressive offering. That's progressively growing your giving above 10%, above and beyond. This can be for special offerings or it can be, you know, there's people that will grow a percentage every year in their generosity. And there's all kinds of ways to do this, but the heart behind it is to grow as a generous person that trusts that the Lord will take care of you and that he will use the money you're giving to build the kingdom. Now, the Bible encourages us to give even beyond the tithe and, and to give generously because we want to be generous like God was generous to us. And he gave us everything. He gave us his son. We're never more like God than when we give. But it's important to remember that we, don't, we never give out of guilt. We don't want people to take steps forward in their journey just out of guilt. We want them to take steps to grow and to transform and to experience the joy that comes through generosity. I love this verse in 2 Corinthians 8, 7. It says this, But since you excel in everything, see that you also excel in the grace of giving, growing in your generosity so you can help others experience God's life and you can experience the God life on a daily basis. Would you take some time this week on your own or if you have family or a spouse and even kids to together uh, consider what, is, what step of generosity is God asking you to take right now? And how is God asking you to trust him with your finances right now, even in the year 2020? When you're with your family, here's uh, four helpful questions. Where are you at right now on your generosity journey? Where would you like to be? Like, what's the next step for you? And how can you move forward in faith beyond those barriers together? If you'd like to partner with us and take that next step in your journey to generosity, you can do that in two ways. One is to mail a check. The second is to go onto our website at whitewaterchurch.org, click on the giving page and give. Guys, thank you for your partnership. Thank you for your prayers. And thank you for your generosity that goes to transform lives and build God's kingdom together. Thanks again for joining us this week. At Whitewater, we believe in creating an environment where you can belong before you believe. If you want to learn more about who we are and what we believe in, visit us at our website, whitewaterchurch.org. If you'd like to contribute to Whitewater financially, you can give online at whitewaterchurch.org give. Or if you want to get involved in blessing our communities or are interested in joining one of our home churches, email us at info at whitewaterchurch.org. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.